Hello and welcome back to the Chris Yeh podcast. I am, as always, Chris Yeh, and I have a very special guest today. You know him as the John Madden of Mental Samurai, my commenter <laughs> partner in crime, Dr. Ken Franklin. Now, normally, as you guys know, Dr. Ken and I talk about Mental Samurai, but Dr. Ken is such a fascinating individual and some of the things he does have really been on my mind recently so i figured it would be a great time to call him in this is actually labor day that we're recording this we're hard at work but for a good cause dr ken say hello how are you folks today everybody out there in podcast land i hope you're enjoying your day now we are going to be sprightly about this because dr ken has tickets to take his lovely wife to the movie so we're going to make sure we finish on time um, Dr. Ken, you know, the genesis for this is that for anyone who follows you on Facebook, and of course they should definitely do so, they see that you are someone who is always being so loving. Uh, and we live in a world where Facebook has become a place that's almost synonymous with strife and conflict and people criticizing each other in very ugly ways. And yet you always turn the other cheek, you always take the high road and you manage to, in some cases, I think, have an impact on people. So let's talk about that and especially the deep roots of your faith. Well, thank you. And uh, I do credit all of this to my faith. Everything I do well is thanks to God and everything I screw up is my own fault. Uh, so if uh, we come away from this uh, podcast with a better appreciation for Jesus Christ and uh, the other members of the Trinity, then I will succeed. If we come up right with us with G. Ken Franklin's a cool guy, then I will have utter, utterly failed. Um, I was uh, your typical college and medical school, I've got to achieve to prove the world what a cool guy I is kind of person, even though I was raised in the uh, Christian church by my maternal grandmother. Um, and I got my first choice in college, first choice in medical school, first choice in residency. So I was certain I was hot stuff. And then when it came time to get my first army assignment after, uh, residency, I got my 10th choice, uh, the absolute place I wanted to avoid. And I took my pregnant bride, uh, Terry on a house hunting trip about three months before we were going there and um, Fort Sill, Oklahoma, in my opinion, is in the middle of nowhere. They have the Wichita Mountains, which are approximately three stories tall. Um, and, and it's a far ways from anywhere. It's 90 minutes from Oklahoma City, which is the biggest uh, metropolitan area in the area. And after the first night, we were both in tears. Um, but while we were crying and commiserating, we both stopped and we both looked at each other and said, you know, God must have us here for a reason. We both had that simultaneous thought, which was a surprise to both of us, because although we both were believers, uh, we weren't particularly active in our faith. So we prayed, we said, God, show us what to do. The next day, a house came on the market that was 100% of our wish list. I had an interview with my uh, soon-to-be commander, and he said, Ken, come up with your ideal job description for a family physician, and we'll make that your job. 
uh, I was uh, promoted to clinic chief on a clinic that had 15 doctors over it within four months. And within two years, I was placed to, as a medical company commander in the 9th Infantry Division. And with a pattern of letting God be in charge, uh, I had a very enjoyable career. Um, so faith became very important in our lives. Uh, unfortunately, uh, in 2006, shortly after I retired, um, Terry developed stage four colon cancer at age 48. Uh, I got ticked at God a lot, but he's, he's big. He's big. He can take it. Uh, we were able to achieve a lot of, of dreams. Uh, she was able to uh, uh, become a, a horse rider. We were our, our farm here that we built when I retired in 2002. We were able to put a horse pasture and uh, we had, took a, a wonderful month long trip to New Zealand and Australia. And we were able to to show our faith to a lot of people. And there were 500 people at her funeral in uh, 2010. So in medicine, there's a thing called the life change scale, which gives a certain number of points to every positive and negative thing that can happen to your life. And the medical research says, if you grow above 150 points in six months, you have a 50-50 chance of developing a physical illness. You have over 300 points, you have an 80% chance of getting physical illness. Well, death of a spouse is 100. Mm -hmm. it's, the, it's the top of the scale. So I endured the most painful stress that a human can do. But the last 10 days of her life, as people were come to visit, Terry's repeated statement was, I'm very sad, but I'm not scared. And so to my mind, the evil of this planet and this universe tried in the worst possible way to shake my faith but I was surrounded by so many supporting people and, uh, and the faith of, of, of our savior that I've endured that. And so there is zero that anybody can say on Facebook, that anybody can say on Twitter, that anybody can say to my face that is going to be worse than what I've already endured. So I have a commitment to the rest of my time in eternity loving that creator back now that's not a religion a religion is a human set of rules it's not a spirituality choice spirituality is you know a personal decision about where their soul is this is about a relationship i have with a guy who came to earth and said i would rather be tortured for hours and days than see you be part apart from me and that relationship defines my behavior as a human being. You know, am I perfect? <laughs> Far from it. You know, I, I screwed up twice already today. Um, and uh, I will continue to do so. But it's not without trying. Because I'm a carbon-based life form, as are you. And, uh, or we're so gonna, you think. Oh, no. No, I'm certain <laughs> that you're not an android because... Uh, you know, we were face to face and, yeah, and I saw the sweat come out and they don't make the models that sweat yet. So, <laughs> so that's, that's the genesis of it. Um, now I could tell you another great story about how I came to find my God gift, Debbie, 
if you'd like. Um, well, let's let's turn to that uh, because I think that it is a part of the story, and okay. I want to get I want to tell that story as well because okay. the story you just told is is so moving. But I also want to paint a picture of not just a man who's been challenged by fate and God, but a man who has also been rewarded. Yeah. Well, um, when I retired, well, let's just go on in this. The, the year after Terry passed, my son, Matt, who's a, a great graphic designer and graphic artist, uh, invited me to this thing called Gen Con, which I knew nothing about, but I knew it was about games and I love games. So I went with him to help him run his artist booth and artist alley at Gen Con. And I heard that they talked to designers there and I've never designed any game, but I've designed some online games, some software and stuff. So I took 16 cards and a bunch of poker chips in a baggie. And I had no idea what a sell sheet was or a marketing plan or making appointments for pitches. I just walked up to, to uh, booths and said, hi, look at my game. And, uh, and I got, the expected spectrum of responses but calliope games um gave me an appointment on sunday and they showed and they listened to me and they showed my game and they signed it so i was going to gen con every year to be a volunteer for them and to help develop the game well about uh 2000 2011 uh no, 2012, excuse me, 2012, I got uh, an email before Gen Con says, we're going to have gamer speed dating. And I said, what? Mm -hmm. How, first of all, why are you sending me this? And what's going on? And I had been, um, as I had been doing every night since Terry passed, I ended my day on my knees, talking to God and trying to listen. And I said, God, is this from you? Is this something you want me to do? And call me psychotic if you wish, but I heard an audible, unmistakable, yes! Okay, it startled me. So I signed up for it. Now, nothing came out of it, but when I came back home, I uh, signed up for eHarmony.com, and I said, I would like to find a woman who is Christian and who has lost a spouse to cancer so that we would have common perspective. And the first person to match was Debbie Netto. Wow. Which is, which is remarkable in that she had been talking to her sons about not getting anything out of the um, account except for a couple of scam artists. And she had canceled her account three days before. Oh, wow. She had told her sons and says, you got it. And she also told, told her sons, they, they had said, hey, you know, lighten up on the Christian stuff. It's clearly getting in your way. And she says, I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen. Some man is going to email me and say, you're exactly the woman I'm looking for which is exactly the first sentence of my email to her. Wow. We met uh, in October at a, uh, at a uh, Christian um, sing-along uh, fundraiser that I was the MC for. Uh, afterwards, she, she brought a couple of wingmen in the case I was a creep. Um, 
at the intermission, she decided I was okay. And so her wingmen, to her, unbeknownst to her, abandoned her. And so afterwards, she texts me and says, hey, um, I'm all alone here. Um, you got any plans for dinner? And I said, well, we got game night in two hours. We could get a little pizza before then. So, okay. So uh, we went and had a pizza and then came back to the house. And about a dozen people came for game night. And we started playing a game called Kingsburg. And she says, oh, I've never tried board games like this. I'm used to things like, you know, Monopoly and Trivial Pursuit. And, but sure, I'll try. And she beat us all by eight points. <laughs> so I said, there might be something here. And in fact, there was. And uh, so I followed the advice of Billy Crystal in When Harry Met Sally, when he said, when you find the person you want to spend the rest of your life with, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. So we got engaged at Christmas and were married the following March 15th. And we have had eight and a half blissful years since. So that's why I call her my God gift. You know, you know that as a man, the ability to find one woman who will spend the rest of your life with you is inc incredibly rare. Well, it's happened to me twice. Ain't nothing I did to make that happen. So God's got me and uh, I will spend eternity loving him back. Well, you know, there, you said something, I think, very important when you talked about your habit each night, which is you would be on your knees, you would talk with God, but most importantly, you wouldn't just say things to God, you would listen. That's and exactly right. It feels like there's that's the, the thing that we have in the world right now. A lot of people not necessarily listening for what God might want to say. A lot of people talking, speaking in his name, not necessarily listening to what he has to say. I absolutely agree. Um, and that's been true ever since Adam and Eve got here. I mean, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, the first thing they did was, well, okay, we've got free will. We've got dominion over the entire world. We've got the ability to love, and we've got a creator who loves us. Gee, what are we missing? Oh, I know. Let's take his place. And that's why they were tempted and, and decided to eat the apple so that they would be like God and would have the ability to be sovereign over their lives instead of God which is what the one thing that God didn't want them to have because he didn't think they were ready to handle it. Now, again, God didn't take back free will. He didn't take back the love. He didn't take back the dominion because God makes a promise. He keeps it. But he warned them, it's not going to go well for you if, you if you're by yourself, if you're running things. And we've proved this by how bad we've crapped where we ate as a planet for the, the many millennia since. Well, that is one of the things when you give someone free will, whether you are a divi uh, the divinity or whether you're a manager or a company commander or anything like that. The fact is giving someone free will means they're going to do what they're going to do. And you're not always going to like it. Right. Well, but if you give them free, you know, the way the, the reason the military generally works is because you give them free will, but you also train them in the effects of those choices and of those consequences. And if you do it well, if you care, 
And one of the things that was drilled into me in ROTC was you as a leader, you must care. If your first action is to care, then that leadership generally goes well. If that's, you'll, you know, if you'll have, I'll, I'll give you an opinion, I'll beat it into you, you know, that's not going to work. And we've seen that happen millions of times. So uh, as a matter of fact, I even wrote a book about that at Debbie's request. Well, um, pull the book out. Nobody can see it, but I'm going to okay. see it. And you're going to tell okay. me all about it. Well, um, shortly after Debbie and I were married, um, we were driving. And every once in a while, she would <gasps> And I would wonder, what's going on? And there was something I was doing that was causing her fear. And at first, I really got ticked off about it. I says, don't you trust me? I'm pretty sure I'm capable to be a driver. Well, it turns out that she'd been in some accidents that had you know, broken both her legs and some other mm. things that had injured her and her sons. And she was never going to get over that. So at a, a point, I said, okay, I understand your gasp is an expression of your love and your desire that things go well with us. So I'm okay with it now. And she paused for about 15 seconds. She said, Ken, there's nobody who has a faith like that. You ought to write something down. And that's where the book came from. I'm talking about the choice of giving up that forbidden, well, I don't even say forbidden, that inadvisable self-sovereignty mm -hmm. and accepting that there is a creator who came down here and showed that the love is more important than the accountability. And so if I can demonstrate that and attract people to that, then I feel like I'm uh, in some small way uh, helping enlighten people as to the best way to live. Well, let's explore that for a second. And But first, where would people find this book? What's the title and uh, the, where do they find it? Okay, the title is Spit Out the Apple, How to Embrace God's Love by Rejecting the Gift He Never Gave You. Um, and it is available on Amazon.com. It is also available on Audible. Uh, I Read I, by you, I hope. That is correct. That is correct. I have a very good friend here who helped me with the audio production. And I happen to use the uh, audio equipment that you're using right now to record it. And it turned out pretty well. He was uh, the guy who did the cleanup said that I had a very good noise floor. Everything was fine. So, um, so it's available there. Um, it is um, not going to be getting a Pulitzer anytime soon. I think I've sold a grand total of 125 copies but i did have two audible copies sell last month and uh i have 15 four or five star reviews well, let's see if we can't boost those numbers a little bit but also if you sell 125 copies you're already in the top half of all published books well this is true <laughs> this is true and 25 percent of all uh the money that i make goes to my church um, and 25% goes to uh, South County Community Services, which is a local food bank. You know, I want to dive back into the, your ability to be loving through all this, but I wanted to mention just a funny anecdote. I could always just tell it to you off, off screen, off air, but, you know, why just, might as well tell the story. Sure. So 
you know, my my wife is Catholic. Uh, I am religiously unaffiliated, although I was baptized as a child. My mother had me baptized somehow. I'm not sure how exactly. She's a little murky on the details. And it was interesting when you were telling the story of what happened and how you met Debbie, because the way I met my wife, well, I met her at a pool hall, but that's not the important part. The important part is that many years later, she showed me her journal, which she had been writing. And, you know, she'd been writing her thoughts down about what was going on in her life and everything like that. And it turns out that on a particular day, which is to say, October 11th, 1995, she wrote a journal entry saying, you know, I'm not sure if I'm going to find that person in my life. Is there a prince out there for me? How is he going to come into my life? And what's interesting about that date is, first of all, it is my 21st birthday. And secondly, that was the day on my 21st birthday that I moved to Boston or to Cambridge, Massachusetts, which set me on the path to meeting her there in Cambridge about six months later. And so it is one of those signs, as you say, if you're listening for the signs, you may very well find them. Oh, absolutely. Um, If you decide on your own that God is not for you or God does not exist, that doesn't make him disappear. You know, we're little bitty, God's big. Um, You know, if you add up all the number of atoms in the universe, you know, we get up to the 10 to the 86th power. Uh, We can also conceive of a number, a Google, 10 to the 100th power. We can conceive of a Googleplex, 10 to the Google power. That's massive. We can conceive of, of infinities. But the physical truth is a brain cannot conceive of anything that's greater than it. So the ability of us to completely comprehend the guy who created the universe is physically impossible. We ain't got enough neurons, but that doesn't mean he doesn't exist. If I drive down the street and I see a new house, but I never met the builder, doesn't mean there wasn't a builder. Okay. So just because we can't conceive of or write a set of rules that God satisfies to us that doesn't rule out his existence. And if you're paying attention, there's plenty of evidence that he's there. There is plenty of documentary evidence of the life of Jesus Christ um, outside of the Bible. And you and I have experienced enough things that cannot be explained by uh, by simple fact, facts um, that it's not hard to come up with evidence that he's there. And it simply makes my life easier to accept that relationship rather than try to define it or restrict it. And acceptance is a word that I've really been using a lot recently because that is the thing that I think is the great lesson. It is not that we have to just sort of say things are as they are and they're always gonna be that way. 
Mm -hmm. But we have to say things are as they are. And we can choose to continue that way or we can choose to try to change them. But we have to begin with things are as they are. That's yeah. the acceptance that's so important. Right. Um, and I have to accept the fact that, I'm sorry, I'm going to take that word, the fact out, because the okay. fact means it's something I want and mm. I want to keep myself out of here. Mm -hmm, we have mm -hmm. to accept that there are many different forms of reality and perceived truth here in this country, which is causing a huge amount of strife. There has to be an absolute truth. So if we just say, this is what I think, therefore it is, then we're not accepting, we're defining. If we search for the objective truth and get out of the way of it, we can build some pretty sophisticated coping mechanisms. And that is one of the things that I think you really model so well online, which is the people who have decided that they are not going to worry about objective truth or facts or evidence, they'll often try to attack you, to provoke you, to draw out an emotional response, perhaps because if that happens, then you'll get down in the muck and, and fight with them. But you always have the ability to maintain your control and to gently, like perhaps someone else we know, uh, <laughs> try to bring them back to the better path. How, well, do you, how do you do that when these people are so provoking sometimes? Well, um... I've, I heard a long time ago an excellent uh, statement. When you are angry at someone, you are controlled by that someone. That's I a very really, wise statement. I don't really want to be controlled by the most aggressive and irritating people in my life. Because they will take the place of my creator. And I really like having a relationship with my creator. And again, it then becomes a contest between my version of reality and their version of reality. But to do that, you have to assume that I define what reality is. And I don't. I'm an imperfect carbon-based life form. So I have to research and read and learn what that objective truth is. And I do that, uh, as described in the book, I do that first by paying attention to what love is, by paying attention to the reality of God's existence and the reality of Christ's life. And then using that to decide how I react to everything around me, which is the guy, Christ not only endured agony and torture for me, but he also did it for Donald Trump. He also did it for Joe Biden. He also did it for Joe Rogan. He also did it for um, Scarborough. You know, everybody on another every Joe. Show. A lot of Joes, it seems. Yeah, uh, uh, everybody, every pundit in the world. Okay, so if I get off of that truth that they are each loved and each worthy of listening to, then I've screwed up. I have strayed from that objective truth. So I, after a lot of practice, 
that I still stumble at. That's my approach to people. And I think you said something again, I want to underscore it, which is that everyone is worthy of listening to. That doesn't mean you're going to agree. That doesn't mean you're going to amplify their message or allow it to go uncorrected. Correct. But they are worth listening to because, and again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so correct me if I'm wrong, but ultimately they are all loved and they all have worth. They all have value. They've all been uh, marked out as, as somebody who, you know, is a part of this grand universe. And, right. you know, they may infuriate us at times, but they are still a part of this with us. Right. And I will admit my self-interest, okay? I have been given, as I say over and over again, more blessings than I'm able to calculate. I woke up this morning astoundingly blessed. And I know that the creator of the universe wants everybody to feel that way. So, am, so my way of saying thank you to God is to look for ways to love other people that way and help them see that. But my personal experience right now is I'm sitting here with a stack of 10,000 lottery tickets, all of which are $100 million winners. And most of the people I come up to say, yeah, BS, or that's nice. I'm not going to take one. Have a nice day. That's mournful to me. When I see 640,000 people die of a, of a completely preventable disease that we've proved was preventable for the last 100 years, that makes me profoundly sad. Am I going to fix it myself? Nope, because I'm not in charge. But I, can I try to love people in a way that they can see that that's a better way to live? I'm not going to stop trying. No, and, and you never do, right? I mean, are there days when, because I find I have these days when I'm just like, I can't, I'm tired of it. I'm sick of it. I can't keep doing this. I've got to shut it off. I've got to go away. I've got to do something else. How do you get through those times or do those feelings not overwhelm you at points? Oh, they do overwhelm me. As a matter of fact, the last time it overwhelmed me was 48 hours ago. Mm. Um, but as I outline in the book, um, we, we are taught that we work better as a group. Um, if you look at the organization of the universe, you just start with quarks and then, uh, you know, quarks and then mesons and gluons and up to atoms and molecules and, and then to compounds and tissues and organ systems and up to a person. And we stop there. But that's a completely artificial boundary because then there's beyond person, there's a dual, a dual uh, relationship with your spouse or significant other. Then there's a family, then there's a community, then there's a you know, a city, a state, on up through the mind of God, as uh, they, uh, Thornton Wilder so aptly put. Um, and so if you recognize that you're not supposed to be by yourself, and you accept and look for relationships with others, that's what you support. I have a group of seven people. We are found, uh, called a covenant group. And our goal is to 
find the best way to serve Christ and the Holy Spirit in compassion, justice, devotion, and worship. Immense sorts of strength. And all of us have leaned on each other with that way. I start each day reading at least a chapter of the Bible. I'm on my sixth time through the Bible, uh, looking at it in different ways. Uh, the last time, which was my favorite, uh, it was in chronological order. So it would order the chapters by how things happened in real time, because there's a lot of parallelism there. That's right. Um, and then, uh, you know, I try to read something, something else uplifting at, at least a couple times a year. Um, the book I'm reading right now is called Invitations from God. And I'm finding that very helpful because it starts out by talking about how do you cope with times when you feel like you're all alone. Now, Ken, I think that people who are listening can see why so many rely on your wisdom, why I'm so admire the way that you live. And maybe we can get the benefit of your wisdom for the present moment. I mean, we're living through a time where, as you put it, there's immense tragedy. So many people who have died, most of them unnecessarily. And you know, I think a lot of people look around and say, wow, you know, how did they get this bad? And are things just going to get worse? Where do you find hope? How do you, uh, how do you get the strength? And, and how do you bring that light to other people in this time so that we can get through this and get to uh, hopefully a, a greater place? Well, uh, I think, and again, this is not Ken Franklin's formula. I didn't invent it, but it sure has helped me. You start by finding the grain of truth. The grain of truth is God came and became part of us. He's not a liar. He's not a lunatic. He's not a con man. He's not a legend. There's documentary evidence of his life. And he taught us to love others first so that we can be loved back. You start with that. And then you reach out to other people who are practicing that and you start to knit together a system of support. And if anybody listening can't find somebody like that, call me, email me, message me on Facebook. I don't care. Okay. Um, because you're worthy of the love. You start with that and everything else falls into place from there. That's not Ken Franklin's philosophy. That's the creator of the universe's philosophy. And I recommend it highly. Well, let's make sure people know how to get in touch, because I think there may be people out there who are listening, who could use the support of the good doctor. <laughs> so Ken, where can they find you? Obviously, you mentioned they can look for you on Facebook. What do they look up? What do they search for? Well, you, you search for Ken Franklin, or you can go to facebook.com slash D-R-K-E-N-F-P, which stands for Dr. Ken Family Practice. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as Ken Plays, the number two in the word grin. Ken Plays to Grin. Uh, and I check those uh, several times a day. Um, I have not restricted any private messages, and I welcome the chance to love you uh, the way that I'm loved. 
You know, I've always wondered what the FP stood for in the Dr. Ken FP. Now I know. And uh, it, it, it's uh, it's both very prosaic, but also very profound. So it's nice to hear and, and finally know that. Well, I'm, I'm very grateful for the miracle of our relationship, you know. Um, you know, as, as we've mentioned, I, I've always loved games and I've always loved game shows. And, uh, I got to teach Art Fleming how to host a game show back in, uh, 1978. I, I taught Art Fleming how to host College Bowl and I oh got to goodness. be his, wow. I got, I got to be his stand in during the camera rehearsals. And, uh, that was a miracle. And then I got to go on a game show called Mental Samurai and I got to be in the same interview with this guy named Chris Yeh, who's an absolute genius at uh, the internet businesses. So, uh, you know, uh, God gets all the credit for that. Hey, you know what? I, I want to also give you credit, Dr. Ken, but if you want to go ahead and pass that credit along, nobody's going to object. Okay. Well, folks, I'm afraid that we are out of time because we need to get Dr. Ken on his way. He and his lovely wife are going to see the great new movie Free Guy starring Ryan Reynolds, which oddly enough really ties in with our discussion today in terms of things like free will and purpose and what it all means. So, Dr. Ken, any final words you'd like to leave with? Isn't it funny how God can be all cool like that, making the movie and their discussion all tie in together? He's a pretty nifty guy. I tell you, he's got stuff on the ball. It's pretty impressive. But then again, and, so are you. And please, please, please buy the book because you're going to feed people if you buy the book. If you don't like it, let me know. But if you do like it, share it with somebody else. One more time, Dr. Ken, what is the title of the book? What do they search for on Amazon to find it? You search for Spit Out the Apple. And uh, it is on Amazon.com. It's also on Audible.com. Fantastic. Well, everyone, thanks again to the amazing Dr. Ken for coming in. This is Chris Yeh, and I will look forward to hearing from you guys again soon.